are few things on earth that generate more conversation than wine. For many, the thirst for wine knowledge becomes an obsession. We all know people who are passionate about sharing that knowledge and their opinions about wine. We call some of those folks sommeliers, wine aficionados, wine experts, wine gurus, and the most commonly used title, boring. Welcome to Grape Encounters. We love wine just as much as anyone else, but while we crave those special wines that are silky smooth and go down so easy, we find an awful lot of the conversations about wine pretty hard to swallow. There is one overriding premise here at Grape Encounters. Wine pairs best with life. Accordingly, your host David Wilson, his guests, and the rest of us on the team are here to show you a great time, how to have more fun with your wine, where to enjoy wine the most, how to immerse yourself into a wine lifestyle that isn't simply about wine. So let's dive into this week's edition of Grape Encounters. Oh, you'll learn plenty, but hopefully it will be knowledge that you can really use. Not like that Latin class you took in high school. Here's your wine captain, David Wilson. Yeah, well, we are absolutely immersed in the holiday season, and we got a little bit of it behind us and a whole lot more in front of us. This is probably the biggest time when it comes to wine for wine sales because everybody's out buying wine for gifts, they're buying wine for parties and family celebrations. But you know, sometimes you just want to mix it up a little bit. And when I say mix it up, that even includes mixing up wine with something else. Speaking of something else, one of my favorite guests who comes on from time to time, not nearly enough, it's Nancy Light. She's the VP at the Wine Institute, which, oh my gosh, a an incredibly powerful and effective organization that oversee. Well, they're they're really an advocacy group for the California wine industry, but they do so much good for wine all over the world. And Nancy, uh, we're gonna lighten up cocktails, I guess. Nice to have I you. I guess we are. Great to be here, David. Thank you. Oh man, so you guys put out something. The minute I saw this, like I just freaked out. I was so crazy. Because it is so up my alley, and anybody that's been listening to Grape Encounters for any length of time knows that I love to tinker with wine. And there are a lot of people that think wine is sacred, and you can't mess with it, and you just got to drink it the way the the winemaker made it, and that's it. But you guys come along with a wine cocktail. Uh, I, I guess you would call it an ebook for the holidays. And That's I, right. I yeah. love it, man. This is so cool. Totally. So I, just to address what you said about, you know, don't mess with the wine. So here's where we come out on it. We know you want to have your terrific wine. You love your wine. You want your glass of wine. You're going to have your wine with dinner. You're going to serve wine at your parties. But we all, like you said, want to have something special. Often if it's a dinner or when people walk in, you want to have, you know, let's face it, craft cocktails has been a movement for a long time. And there is no reason in the world that wine should not be a part of that, right? Right. You're making these cocktails. You're using the best ingredients. And wine is just perfect. And as you said, it, it can also, you know, have a drink 
make a drink that's refreshing and light and interesting. And, you know, the other thing is we're in California where we've got, you know, great produce. We've got, you know, year-round fabulous herbs. And we just bring that all together as, as this, you know, California celebration in these eight drinks. So, so let me tell you about something that happened just a couple of weeks ago. Our studios are located on the central coast of California, as you, as you know. And we're located on a street called Traffic Way. Isn't that a beautiful name for a street? <laughs> Traffic, it's not true. Traffic Way. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, we do this thing that we started five years ago. It's called Taco Day on Traffic Way, right? And then people come up and down the street and they eat tacos from about almost 20 vendors. Anyway, I do something during that event in my tasting room that I own. And what it is is I make wine margaritas. And, and people at first, they come – because also I should say that people sometimes go to restaurants and they have these wine cocktails. And I want to address that in this conversation because there's something awful you should know about that when you buy them in a restaurant. But anyway, people have had wine margaritas and they just go, yuck, I'll pass. And so I pour them a little bit and I go, try this. And then they just flip out. It's like, oh my gosh, I need a glass of that. I need a picture of that. And it's because I'm, I'm using, in most cases, I use a Sauvignon Blanc, but I also can do it with Chardonnay, and it is just absolutely delicious. And a lot of people would assume that when you make a wine cocktail that it's going to be so low in alcohol that you're not even going to notice it's there. But in reality, you tend to use more wine than you would the spirits, and so it's you know fairly comparable in a lot of cases. Anyway, that's my story, and people write me all the time and call me for the wine margarita recipe. I'll give that in a minute, but first of all, why did you guys decide to to do this. This is so far from the deep political things that you guys mostly do at the Wine Institute. Well, we certainly do promote California wine too. And this was really an idea that a, a number of us, you know, we were sitting around brainstorming and again, just talking about, about wine and the holidays and, you know, the, the cocktail movement. And, and I've always had this idea like you that, you know, why, why couldn't, why should wine be part of, you know, yeah. a, a cocktail? And if, if I may, I, we would love to maybe include your margarita recipe in our, we, 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 I think we're going to do this again in the spring. So that would be a perfect recipe if you're willing to share that with credit. Oh, you know what? Um, People tell me that it's literally the best margarita they've ever had, and they are stunned that there's no tequila in it. But but I, I want to say something about wine cocktails because there are a lot of people that have a misconception of what a wine cocktail is, and here's why. There's a bunch there, – there are companies out there – I don't know if it's a bunch, but there are companies out there that make uh, basically faux or fake spirits out of wine and they are awful and they'll make like a faux whiskey or a faux vodka and I'm when I say faux F-A-U-X and it's you wouldn't drink it straight you certain I wouldn't drink it in a mixer and that's why a lot of you who have gone to restaurants that don't have a hard liquor license but do have a wine and beer license you go there you order these wine cocktails and you go oh that's awful and it is awful but that's not what we're talking about here we're talking Talking about using real wine in its virgin form. That's exactly right. And of course, you know, in some sense, right, wine cocktails have been around for a long time. There's always been yeah. one of my favorites, the champagne cocktail. And I was pleased. I actually tried a couple of these again over the holiday, over Thanksgiving holiday. And one that I loved was the raspberry port sparkler. So it's, you know, it's a little bit of a couple of raspberries and you muddle that with like an ounce of port style wine, add sparkling wine. And it has that, I thought it was going to be sweet, but it wasn't. It was that, that perfect, you know, sparkling touch of bitterness that you get in a champagne cocktail, which is one of my favorites. Or a California sparkling wine cocktail, we'll say. How did you gather up these recipes? Because there's just a ton of them. 
I think the book is, I think, 17 pages, right? Right. It's, so it's eight recipes. We got, a, it's a seven, we got a bonus recipe, which we'll talk about later. That's the red wine hot chocolate, which I think is okay. quite unique. But, yeah, that, um, that, was but actually, the, that was the one that I looked at. I said, really? <laughs> but, I don't know. I haven't had that one myself, but I think I've now been looking and I see it coming up in a couple of places. But these recipes were all developed by Casey Cornwell, who is a, a blogger and influencer. And yeah. uh, so she came up with these and, you know, we, we wanted to provide a variety of, of options for people, whether it's for a single cocktail or things that you could prepare at, you know, for which I'm sure you could do with, for example, your wine margaritas on, a, you know, as pitcher for a party. So you're doing a party. We have, you know, again in the vein of things that have been around the red apple sangria, which is kind of a twist on the traditional sangria. It's red wine, apple cider, cinnamon, some fresh fruit, apple slices, and you know, so refreshing and delicious. The California Gold Rush, which is Chardonnay with a mixture of uh, lemon juice, thyme, and honey that you make a little syrup from and mix that in. And then that is, you know, again, one that uh, can be, you know, made by the pitcher if you want as well. You as know, well. I didn't notice how you get the thyme in there. Do you muddle the thyme? Is that what happens? You, you actually are, are going to be cooking that, uh, warming that a bit. Oh, okay. Um, and you kind of, a, you make a syrup of it yeah. with the honey. Yeah. You know, isn't it funny, Nancy, how uh, when it comes to wine cocktails, most people think of, oh gosh, like uh, a Bellini or, you know, there are just a there are just a couple of them out there. Mimosa, of course, is the the grandmother or grandfather mm-hmm, of all right. wine cocktails. But it, as more and more mixologists come onto the scene, and it really is a big movement right now, they're looking for interesting stuff to serve to their patrons, and wine is a, a very big go-to for them. And so, so, you know, with that in mind, let's talk in a moment about. We're gonna have to take a little break here, but let's talk in a moment about what kind of quality wine you put into a wine cocktail because I think a lot of people while they would put really excellent vodka into a, a, a mixed drink that's driven by vodka wine, I think people might be inclined to go buy something for two bucks. So let's come back to that. My guest is Nancy Light. She is the VP at the Wine Institute. And by the way, you have a public website. Uh, I don't want to miss the opportunity to tell people where to go for that. And they can get this, they can download this there. Exactly. DiscoverCaliforniaWines.com. DiscoverCaliforniaWines.com. There is a wealth of information there. And there's a lot that they do that, you know, is very, very consumer driven. You'll find so many interest. You could spend a whole day on that website. It's just really that interesting. Okay, we're going to be back with more Grape Encounters Radio as we do the unthinkable. We mess with wine. It used to be sacred, but now it's just more succulent than ever. Do you ever wonder what goes on in the Grape Encounters studio while you're listening to the commercial break? Research. Yeah, that's what we do. Research. You can never do too much research. We like to talk about wine. Welcome back to Grape Encounters Radio, broadcasting from our Central Coast Wine Country studio in idyllic Atascadero, California. Grape Encounters is brought to you by Total Wine & More, America's largest independent retailer of fine wine. They carry more than 8,000 different wines from every wine-producing region in the world and offer an equally monumental selection of beer and spirits. Here's David. 
Got on the line, Nancy Light, and she is the VP of the Wine Institute, which is just an, an enormously important advocacy group for the California wine industry, but certainly they go way deeper than California because the work that they do benefits so many wineries around the country. And Nancy, you guys are lightening things up a little bit. Hey, there was no pun intended, Nancy Light, but <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> uh, lightening things up by uh, putting out a, a nice little ebook filled with recipes for wine cocktails for the holidays. And I raised the question at the end of our last segment about the quality of wine that you put into these cocktails, because we think nothing of going for the top shelf liquors when we're making mixed drinks. But I'm, I'm thinking that people probably are inclined to go, well, let's go down to the bottom shelf because it's just going to get mixed in with other stuff anyway. What say ye? Well, that's really the the money question, isn't it? (laughs) Literally. And my perspective is the same as yours in that, you know, nobody skimps on ingredients and cocktails because we know that it's going to taste better when you're using a really great, you know, vermouth or you're using a really great tonic. And I would say the same thing about wine. Now, personally, am I going to take my favorite California Pinot Noir and, you know, use it and mix it in a cocktail that has other ingredients? I'm probably going to use something a little bit more modest, but by no means are we talking about only using your least expensive wines or buying the least expensive wines. You know, you could certainly go that way, but again, it's it's how you're inclined to make your cocktails. If you're using the well stuff, you know, for your drinks generally, then by all means do the same, but you're going to get a better result, I think, with something a bit better. So if I come to the lighthouse, <laughs> that doesn't work. Does it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if I come to the, the Nancy Lighthouse and I'm going to have a wine cocktail, it's unlikely that I'm going to get open one or Screaming Eagle hot chocolate. Very unlikely. <laughs> Very unlikely. In fact, it's not going to happen. No. Not going to happen. But, you know, hey, <laughs> how cool would that be, though, to, if you got some really important guests coming over and you say, hey, not only have I made for you a red wine hot chocolate. <laughs> but I made it with. I made it with <laughs> Opus One or. I, think they, I don't know. I love my wine too much, David. I'm sorry. I, I think couldn't they, do I it. Think they, <laughs> yeah. But I wonder what the winemakers would think, too, right? I know. I don't know. Well, you know, maybe they do if they have extra bottles of like open wines, you know, sitting around, whatever. You know, I mean, they can do that. But all right. So here's an example of one that, you know, I would use a good wine, but I wouldn't use what I, and everybody's notion of what a good wine is and what is an expensive wine, right? Or is individual, we, yeah, you know, yeah. it's kind of based on our budget and what we buy. Our day-to-day wines are 15 to $20 in our household. Right. Okay. Um, and we'd love it to find things we love for less than that, but that's generally where we go. And right. then, but anyway, this is the Vineyard Mule, which if are you, if you're a Moscow mule fan, right? Yeah. And so this is with using California, a white wine, you can use a Sauvignon Blanc, Viognier, Chenin Blanc, you can find a varietal one, ginger beer, a little bit of uh, fresh lime juice, some ice and lime wedge, you know, really cool, refreshing, fun drink, but with a twist, you know, just a little bit different than what you would normally have. What's interesting too, is that you were listing off a variety of white wines that all have very different characteristics, but vodka, you know, from one bottle to the next, it'll have similar profiles, but with wine, you've got a little more flexibility, I think, to just push the envelope a little bit further. Well, and I think that's a good point, too, 
because the wine has quite a lot of flavor, you're going to get a slightly different result depending on the wine that you use too. And you're going to get, I think, more in general, more flavor from the wine than you would from, you know, something that's a pretty neutral spirit. But that's just my feeling. So I want to know, David, are you a mulled wine fan? Uh, Yes, as long as it's not too over the top with the herbs, you know, but Mm -hmm. tell me what you got. So I think this one is great because it has something I think most people love, which I do, is pomegranate juice. Yeah. And oranges, of course, honey. You know, we've got the cinnamon cloves and, and anise. And again, you can, you know, if you if you don't want an overly cinnamony or spicy version, you can always reduce that. Some ginger, you know, some red wine. We're using red wine. So we're saying a red wine, you can use Cabernet for this. Something with a little bit of body because it's going to want it to stand up to the pomegranate juice. And then, you know, some fresh orange slices on top, some of the pomegranate areoles and a little bit of cinnamon stick. Just beautiful All right, uh, kind of winter right. cocktail. All right. Uh, what else have you got? Sure. Well, I think the cranberry rosé is really cool. Oh, tell me about that. I love cranberries. Yeah, so that's basically, I mean, you know. Look, I'm drinking cranberry juice, by the way. And it, there you go. You're looking, at, <laughs> you're looking at my glass. I know what you're thinking. You're going, that, nah, that's, it looks sort of like Pinot Noir, but it is cranberry juice. Well, I was going to say you could do, except it's a rosé we're calling for, you could do the, the uh, you know, cranberry red wine with that. <laughs> um, Interesting. So this is rosé, a, a couple of ounces of cranberry juice, a few uh, dashes of orange bitters, Really? Okay. Um, yeah. And then just some fresh cranberries for garnish. And again, you know, you can serve it in a, in the kind of glass that you have, an old glass, you know, a tumbler of some kind, just a really nice, fun, tasty drink. And then again, I know you're not crazy about the, how the, the red wine hot chocolate sounds, but no, I no, think no, it no, sounds I, well, no, super it's, <laughs> no, it's, no, I'm not. I'm not. It just needs to be good, you know. You, as, yeah. you, as you know, there are a bunch of chocolate wines out there. Oh, that's a whole and, different and category. Some of, the, some, of them are, some of them are mighty delicious. And some of them mm-hmm. are, are mighty vicious in terms of how they taste. But okay, let's talk it. So I think this is also going to be your quality of chocolate too. So this is one that you're going to make in a larger quantity and you can do it stovetop or slow cooker, basically. Okay. It's darker semi-sweet chocolate chips that are going to get melted. So it's all going to get melted. Brown sugar, cocoa powder, cinnamon, salt, and then whole milk. Bring that all together. Add red wine. So we're saying a California red, a Merlot or Zinfandel would be really nice. That's Ladle it. that up, get that all nice and warm. And then, you know, you're not have to have marshmallows or whipped cream on top. And, right. and there you go. You can even put a cinnamon stick maybe in that, but that might change the flavor. All right. I'm, I'm going to put you to a challenge because I think you said a moment ago that you have not tasted this one yet. I have not. All right. So here's what, we're gonna, here's, you. What, here's what we're going to do. In the next week, you and I are both going to make this. Okay? okay. And then I'm going to dial you up and we'll revisit this and let's just see how we both react to it. Okay. That's you got fair? a deal. You yeah, got a deal. Because I'm, 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 this, this, this one's got me curious. <laughs> so, oh gosh, so many things you can do with your wine. And I, I, we just got a second less left, but I do want to say this. You know, so many times we open up a bottle, we've got wine left over. It hasn't turned yet. It hasn't oxidized, but maybe it's lost just a tad bit of its luster. Wow. This is a great way to repurpose that wine. Now, if it's turned, I'm warning you, don't put it in anything except the drain. Okay, that's where it's got to go. But otherwise, you know, if it's just a little flat, you know, whatever, you use it this way. Right, Nance? I think that's a great idea. And you know what I do? I put them in the refrigerator. Yeah, I do too. It kind of holds the, you know, it'll hold it stable for a longer time. Hey, Nancy Light, nice to have you on. You always bring us such great things. There's some really, really cool stuff on the website. By the way, do you still have the cookbooks available? Are there any of those left? We do. Wine Country Table. Yeah, absolutely. That's available on Amazon. You can find out all about it again on discovercaliforniawines.com. I'm not kidding you. That is one of the best cookbooks you will ever lay your hands on. We don't have time to talk about it, but you can go to grapeencounters.com. 
and just Google Wine Country Cookbook, and we did a whole show on it. And I have tried many of the recipes. They're fantastic. So I trust that. So I trust the special holiday edition of Wine Cocktails from the Wine Institute. DiscoverCaliforniaWines.com. Hey, Nancy, thanks very much. I'll uh, be talking to you in a week. And we're going to be back with more Grape Encounters, brought to you by Total Wine and more. And, man, if you're looking for a great wine gift for somebody you love or somebody that you hope to love (laughs) sometime, or you're looking for great ingredients to put into a terrific wine cocktail as designed by the Wine Institute, or you just want to drink a great bottle of wine, go to Total Wine and more. You can go to the website for a location near you. It's TotalWine.com. Welcome back to Grape Encounters, where we believe there's no way to fake a great wine and where we never fake our disdain for the really bad ones. Don't you just love and hate those stories that you read from time to time about somebody who'll be digging way back in their garage or maybe in the tool shed of a relative, and they discover something that is so valuable that the proceeds from selling that object or collection of objects could support the family for the rest of their lives. This happens from time to time. I say I love and hate those stories because I always feel good for the people who have those windfalls, but I've yet to have one like that myself. But I'm still hoping. Well, I bring this up because I came across a story the other day that uh, it was uh, back on December 1st about a couple from Long Island who had bought a storage locker that had stuff in it that was undisclosed. Nobody knew what was in the locker, and it was one of those deals where you could bid on the locker and you could have whatever's inside. Uh, This particular locker they bid on back in 1989, and they paid roughly $100 for the stuff that was in the storage locker. Well, when the locker was opened up, what they found under some old blankets was a 1976 Lotus Esprit sports car. That in itself is valuable, but this particular Lotus Esprit sports car was used in the filming of the movie The Spy Who Loved Me, the James Bond film starring Roger Moore uh, back in 1977. And if you remember that movie, you'll remember this particular car because it was both a car and a submarine. Well, uh, the reason that this story resurfaced was because Elon Musk purchased it for nearly a million dollars. Can you imagine that? A hundred dollar investment, a million dollar return. Just absolutely extraordinary. The other reason that I bring up this subject is because from time to time, people will come to me and they'll say, hey, David, you know, I found this bottle of wine uh, that's been just kind of sitting in a storage cabinet at my place for, you know, heaven knows how many years. And I I don't know, it's kind of old. I I was wondering if it was valuable. And I'm not a wine appraiser, but, you know, I got a pretty good idea when something is valuable. And from time to time, uh, somebody will show me a bottle of wine that, you know, they probably or somebody paid, let's say, $10 for way back when, and now it's worth hundreds of dollars, in some cases, thousands of dollars. And in fact, not too terribly long ago, my significant other was given a collection.
collection of wine. It was a couple of cases of wine from a friend who had cleaned out her parents' house out in a place called Tehachapi in California, which, by the way, is a very hot place, which already had me kind of squirming about the the quality of the wine that was found. But um, in this house, there was a collection of wine that uh, goes back to the early 60s, actually a couple of bottles uh, to the late 50s. And it was just given to us. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I I wonder what's going to be in those boxes. Well, uh, we picked up the wine and lo and behold, there were some things in there that really got my attention, including things like a uh, Chateau Lafitte 1979 that uh, appeared to be in pretty good collection. Now, a lot of the wines that were in the collection, you could see that the wine had evaporated quite a lot. And and that's a pretty good indication that what's in the bottle ain't going to be terribly drinkable, making the wine go from probably very valuable to not very valuable. But when you do see the wine where the wine is up toward the top of the neck like any other normal wine would be, there's always a good chance that the wine in the bottle could be, you know, something close to pristine. The problem with this particular collection was that, as I said, it was uh, stored in a place called Tehachapi, which can get like way over 100 degrees in the summertime. And it just so happens that, you know, having talked to this person who gave us the wine that her parents uh, traveled a lot. And when they left the house, uh, they would just, you know, turn the AC off so as not to expend a lot of energy and spend a lot of money. So that did not bode well for the wine. But anyway, going back to that collection, there were just a whole bunch of bottles. And in fact, I've got them sitting here in the studio, things like a 1968 Cabernet Sauvignon from Louis Martini. Uh, a 78 uh, from the same winery, another uh, Baron Philippe de Rothschild from 1969, a 1974 Sonoma Vineyards. Now, remember, 1974, this is before the Judgment of Paris back in 1976, which is what put California on the map. Anyway, the list goes on and on. A bunch of um, uh, you know big names from France and some very formidable wineries from California as well. Well, it turns out that we took the Coravin and we sampled a number of these bottles, and unfortunately, every one that we sampled, with one exception, was not something that you would want to drink. If you're not familiar with the Coravin, I talk about it on the show from time to time. It's a, a device which actually has a needle that pierces through the foil and the cork on the bottle, goes straight down into the bottle. You can take a sample out. You can take a glass out of the bottle, and it injects argon gas into the bottle, so it does not harm the wine to take a little bit of a sample out. And in fact, wine collectors will use the Coravin to see, first of all, if a wine is fit for consumption and also if it's uh, aged to a point where it's at perfection in terms of drinkability. But I was just thinking about this subject a lot because all of us are looking for a windfall, right? And so many of us will go to swap meets and we'll go to garage sales and we'll go to thrift shops and, you know, we'll even go through our own long lost belongings, you know, deep in some storage area in our house or a relative's house in search of 
something that might be valuable. But I think very few people think to go look at a collection of wine. You know, for example, my parents, you know, they don't drink wine anymore, but they still have some bottles around that are, you know, sitting in cabinets way back in the cabinet. And, you know, they don't keep it, you know, particularly protected from heat. So, uh, you know, those bottles of wine, generally speaking, I'll pull a bottle out. They never bought anything that was particularly worthwhile anyway, but I'll pull an old bottle out. And, you know, generally speaking, it's not going to be worth drinking. But there have got to be literally millions of bottles of wine sitting around in better places in terms of protecting the wine that have yet to be discovered. And I want to encourage you, you know, especially when you have a little time over the holiday season, maybe between Christmas and New Year's, do yourself a favor. You're going to be at a relative's place. Find out if they've got some wine stash somewhere. You know, most people are not wine aficionados, really, but they come upon a bottle of wine. Maybe it was given to them as a gift. They didn't realize that it was a a particularly good bottle of wine. Maybe they got it 30 or 40 years ago and they just stashed it away. You know, so many people will stash away a bottle of wine for a rainy day and then they just kind of forget about it and they lose track of it. And I have a number of bottles like that that I, I don't know where I got them or even when I got them in many cases, but they're really, really exceptional bottles of wine. Now, in in the case of uh, some of those bottles, they may have been wines, like I said, that they could have been $10 or $20 at one time. And I was just pricing some of the wines that I have that, you know, weren't particularly collector's items at one point, but they are now. And they can be worth sometimes thousands of dollars. I'll leave you with a thought. You may or may not have heard this story from a couple of years ago. The story comes from Union, New Jersey, and it's a story about some museum workers who were working on the house of the first New Jersey governor and another New Jersey governor. And, you know, the house was built back in 1772, just prior to the American Revolution. And it originally had 14 rooms in it. It changed ownership in 1811 to a family called the Keene family and eventually became uh, the 50-room mansion that's there today. And then it was donated and became the Liberty Hall Museum. Well, it turns out that in the basement of that building, all this time, there was a secret wine cellar and they were doing some renovation and there was this wood wall and they take this wood wall down, which presumably was built around prohibition. And lo and behold, are just scads of bottles of rare wine, also whiskeys, but the wines were Madeiras and Madeiras are special because they can age for a very long time. They are already, uh, let's just call it pre-oxidized, so they don't deteriorate. And so here in this room were all these bottles of perfectly wonderful Madeira, some of them estimated at a value of $20,000 or more. Can you believe it? So this little cache of wine is literally priceless. So if they can do it, maybe you can do it. Again, there are stashes, believe me, all over this country. You just got to look. So maybe the next time you're thinking about going out on a Saturday or Sunday and checking out the garage sales, you might ask the folks that you're visiting, hey, 
By the way, do you have any old bottles of wine? And if they do, you can just kind of slip off to the side and you can go to someplace like winesearcher.com and you might just find yourself your retirement. Okay, we're going to be back with more Grape Encounters right after this. Sometimes drinking wine makes you just want to curl up in a comfy chair and dream about puppy dogs, faraway places, and other happy thoughts. Or you can just enjoy that cuvee in your glass and lose yourself in the conversation on Grape Encounters Radio. Okay, we're back with Grape Encounters Radio. And you know, every year it seems that there are at least two or three stories or studies about new benefits that come from wine. Probably the most comprehensive list I've ever seen is from Best Life. You can go online to bestlifeonline.com. They actually list 80 benefits. And I think the biggest list that I've ever compiled is maybe 30. But, you know, it's everything from wine being good for your heart to helping slow brain aging to protecting against head and neck cancer, uh, preventing memory loss. Uh, helping you burn fat easier, protecting against dental disease, uh, can help prevent the flu, it can help prevent colds, it can help fight off Alzheimer's. It goes on and on and on. And we've heard a lot of these things. But there's a benefit from wine that I've just learned about that is probably the most bizarre of them all. And it really has absolutely nothing to do with your health. It has to do, oh gosh, with the health of our roads. (laughs) I don't even know how to tell this story because this is so wacky. But actually, I should say this, that it's actually great for your car because if you've ever seen a car that's rusted out from, you know, driving on roads that have been de-iced with salt, it's just like the most horrible thing to see those rotted out fenders. Doesn't happen so much with modern cars, but cars that are a little older, you see that all the time, especially on the East Coast. I I lived up in the mountains for over 20 years of my life, and so I'm pretty familiar with the stuff that they put down to de-ice roads, but that causes just a whole lot of damage. In fact, it's estimated that that the U.S. spends $5 billion a year to repair damages to roads and infrastructure from winter snow and all of the ice control stuff that goes along with it. What in the world does that have to do with wine, David Wilson? (laughs) Well, I'm still laughing over this one. Uh, What it has to do with is a study from Washington State University. This is just out, folks, just out. What they found was that you can take the skins, the left over skins that, you know, usually are are just composted from the winemaking process. And they contain compounds that will de-ice roads. And so they've been working on this project for quite some time. And it, it turns out that the efficacy is really terrific that you can take all of this byproduct of the winemaking process and essentially distill it down, not distill in the the literal sense, but distill it down to compounds that will keep the roads from icing up and at the same time not have the the terrible consequences that come from putting salt on the road. And and those aren't just consequences to the roads themselves, but, you know, the environment, you know, on either side of the road. And, you know, things like cinders that they, you know, put down on the roads that are 
just a mess, you know, horrible, terrible. Instead, they make this compound from the skins of wine grapes and no must, no fuss. The solution poses basically little or no risk to the environment, to nearby water bodies, nothing, nada. Anyway, back to Washington State University. Uh, there's a researcher there. His name is Xian Ming Shi. Anyway, this particular researcher was tasked with, you know, coming up with an alternative way to to de-ice roads. Anyway, it turns out that Professor Shi and his uh, team of research found that they could produce this grape extract-based solution. It melts ice faster than other de-icers, causes significantly less damage to concrete and asphalt, so it doesn't damage you know, bridges or roads, poses less risk to nearby water bodies. Anyway, uh, Dr. Shi says, we delivered a more sustainable solution because we're introducing less chlorides into the road operations and are achieving comparable or better performance. It's one step in the right direction. Anyway, she first thought of using biotechnology to derive de-icer additives out of agricultural waste materials several years ago when he was tasked by the Alaska Department of Transportation to develop locally sourced and performance-enhanced brine formulations for anti-icing. So uh, his group successfully applied this technology and found it wasn't just, by the way, grape skins that worked, but other things like uh, sugar beet leaves, dandelion leaves, and, and other things. But believe me, with as much wine as we drink in this country, you know, there's a whole lot of grape skins out there. I live in wine country, and sometimes I see them loading them into the back of a dump truck, and believe me, it's just a very substantial amount of material. Now, some of that is, by the way, redistilled into spirits and stuff like that, but all the same, this is generally just material that is composted, and so what a great idea. Maybe one of the really coolest benefits of wine that I've I've discovered yet. I didn't discover it, but I've heard about yet. All right, so if you're as fascinated about this as I am, you can read more about it in the December issue of the Journal of Materials in Civil Engineering. You know, that's something I like to curl up with every night before I go to bed. The Journal of Materials in Civil Engineering. You can check that out. But anyway, inquiring winos want to know. So there's your feel-good, actually two feel-good stories for you in the second half of this show. Check it out. By the way, if you enjoy this show, I really do want to encourage you to check out our podcast that we launched this year with the help of our friends at Total Wine and More. It is The Wine is Talking. And we're, I think, now about like 17 or 18 episodes deep at this point in time. And we just jump into some topics uh, that we don't talk about on Grape Encounters, you know, just, uh, you know, getting into some grittier subjects and more off the wall things that we don't have time to talk about on Grape Encounters. So you can find the podcast at thewineistalking.com. You can also go to Apple Podcasts. Find it there, TuneIn, Stitcher, the usual places. And by the way, you know, we've got over 540 episodes, that's 540 hours of Grape Encounters radio available for you to listen to. We've archived virtually every single show since we started back 11, 12 years ago. And there's some really fun stuff in there, really cool interviews with legends of the wine industry, authors, you know, all kinds of interesting people. So, you know, go check it out if you get 
get a chance because I'm sure you haven't listened to all of them. Although I will tell you that I do know a few people who claim that they have and good on you for doing that, but uh, you need to probably get a life. I thank you very much for joining us today. I also want to thank our friends at Total Wine and More. They really are and have always been my favorite place to buy wine with 8,000 wines to choose from, plus a, a mammoth, incredible, incredible selection of beer and spirits there as well, plus accessories, cigars, you name it. They've got it at Total Wine and More. They make this show possible in part, and, and we really, really deeply appreciate it. Uh, for a Total Wine store near you, go to TotalWine.com. And remember, there's probably no better place to do your holiday shopping if you're going to give wine away as a gift or just put some really cool wines on the table. Just go to the Total Wine store near you. They They have nothing but experts working there, and they will take good care of you. And by the way, tell them that uh, you were sent there by Grape Encounters Radio. Tell them we said hello. We'll be back here to say hello to you again next week at this uh, same time for another episode of Grape Encounters Radio. 